Area 941 podcast are produced and distributed by Community Powered 94.1 KPFA Radio. Please help support Area 941 at kpfa.org. This is the Area 941 Radio Walensky Podcast. I'm your host, Richard Walensky. We're talking about books, about theater, about film, and sometimes about politics. My guest is Kathy Garretts, who is a curator of film at BAM PFA, Berkeley Art Museum Pacific Film Archive. She's currently curating a series about a director from Senegal named Jibril Diop Mambete. He had two features and several short subjects. Uh, his best-known work is Tuki Buki from 1973, which made a big splash internationally. Before we talk about who Mambete was, how did you first run across him? Because I know you've been curating films since 1986 and mostly documentaries. Documentary and experimental cinema, I began by programming PFA's experimental series and then shifted on to documentary and independent cinema. But sometime in the probably mid to late 1980s, California Newsreel in San Francisco developed a library of African cinema and distributed it for a while. And it was an amazing introduction to seeing all different African films. And they had Tukibuki. So I don't remember exactly what year, but I saw it at PFA through California Newsreel, wonderfully distributing it. And oh my God, what a wonderful shock that film was. It was just like everyone who sees it for the first times. It was just incredible. It's just so vital and original and a wonderful piece of cinema. And then it was preserved in 08 uh, by the Film Foundation. And so then it became available again. How did you put together this? What made you decide to put together this Mambete Festival? Thanks to our colleagues at Metrograph. They did some digital restorations of some of his work, including the two shorts from what was intended to be a trilogy, his trilogy of ordinary people, uh, Lafranc and the little girl who sold the sun, and Hyenas. So it was a chance to show work we hadn't shown in a long time. Hyenas had been made available maybe a couple years before, and we had shown it with the African Film Festival, which we do every year with our colleagues in New York. So it was kind of a mix of different people making things available. Tukibuki was available through Criterion and the others through Metrograph. Well, before we go further, people who can't get to BAM PFA to see these on the screen, which, of course, the way to see them, several of the films are available. Tukibuki and his first short, Contra City, are on Criterion, the Criterion app. And those two shorts, the last two films he did, along with Hyenas, are available on the free library app, Canopy. Let's go back. Who is this guy? And along with Tuke Buki, what do we really know about him? He was born in Kalobane, which is a small town outside Dakar, which is in Senegal. 
um, he really identifies with that area where he was born. In fact, he says that he made pictures bringing them from where he was from. For him, filmmaking was an act of remembering. His films are centered in where he grew up and where he stayed. Originally, he studied theater. I guess the story is that he was kicked out for not being like a diligent enough. <laughs> and uh, But then he was drawn to filmmaking and to cinema. So he's really self-taught. There's many African filmmakers who either learned filmmaking in France or in Moscow. But Mambetti's really unusual in that he taught himself. He made a couple of shorts. You mentioned one of them, Contrast City or City of Contrast. He had a strong idea of what he wanted cinema to do. He kind of puts them into two categories, his work. The films like Tukibuki and Hyenas, which are his features. He talks about them as being about the madness of power and the power of madness. And then the other kind of category of work he does, which is, I kind of alluded to, his two shorts, La Franc and Little Girl Who Sold the Sun, were part of what he hoped would be a trilogy about what he called ordinary people. From what people say, he was really drawn to people who were marginalized. He saw them as in contact with what he called a life force. He actually spoke about them as having a more accurate sense of society and community because of their kind of struggle just to survive, that they make the norm visible. So he was born in 1945, kind of tooled around, got thrown out of school, did theater, and suddenly decided to make a film, which wound up being Tukibuki, using some money from Senegal's government, only maybe $30,000, I think it was, made this film and it just blew everybody away when it was shown at festivals. The thing that got me is that we're talking about him in a political context, but the film is a lot of fun. There's a lot of breathless in Tukibuki and even some eight and a half. Do you think he saw those movies? It's hard for me to know what he saw, but I think anybody who sees it would feel there was some of the new wave. It's about a young man and a young woman, Maury and Anta, who want to leave Senegal. Their adventures, some of it is very humorous. There's definitely a critique in the humor, you know, looking at Senegal of its time. He also felt that cinema was very important to Africa, and he felt himself that what you need to focus on is the visuals and sounds. And you can see there's incredible invention in how he cuts his images and creates a story through that cutting. You might say he surprises often with his cuts. He's moving backwards and forwards in time. He's changing place, uh, moving between places. And he's also incredibly inventive with his sound. I mean, there's there's jazz. There's a traditional singer who's within the storyline. There's his brother's music. I don't know if in this particular one, but in ones that he does. I don't know. He's just very, very original. Really takes you to surprising places. 
his second short, Badu Boy. Is that also part of the festival? Well, what happened is Contra City was restored, as was Badu Boy. Uh, we learned about Contra City in time to add it to our series. It's a really good introduction to his work. So it's his first short that survived, and Tukibuki is his first feature. And so we're showing them together on Friday the 21st. So those are a really good introduction. And Contra City, you might say, is a city symphony film like we know, but it's got a definite critique. It's setting up kind of the traditional part of Dakar versus the colonialist. But Badu Boy, we learned about the restoration, which has been completed. Too late. We'd already completed our program guide, so we'll add it soon, maybe even as soon as the summer. Kathy Garretts, you and I found this great interview by Mambete from the 90s. He's asked about the style. He's asked about the politics. He throws them all away. He doesn't want to talk about that. Yeah, I know. I found that really interesting. One thing he says is that for him, talking about structure means that something is premeditated and that he wants to much more respond in the minute, in the instant. He has some ways of speaking about his film that you can really, really understand fully what he's saying. And then some is more maybe poetic because he talked a lot about that what he wants to use is the instant and that that instant instant is motivated by the necessity of movement. I found another recording of him speaking where he talked about how it's actually in one of the shorts that we're showing called just simply called Mambetti, where he talks about how important the wind is to him because it is movement and that the wind lifts him and carries him and brings him to different possibilities and different ways of thinking and different dreams. And I think that goes back to the reason he doesn't like to talk about structure and style is that he's He's looking for something very different. He wants to really reinvent how one thinks, not using like the concept structure, the concept style. A lot of it has to do to him with the capacity to dream. He speaks about that a lot. His, if he allowed the word style, his unusual montage, his unusual way of doing narrative is what he calls his way of dreaming. He pulls it from that. One of the things I find interesting is if you go to these various sources and they try to describe what he's doing, some of them say, oh, it's totally political, anti-colonialism. Others kind of talk about these other things he's doing and say, well, he's not didactic in that way at all. I think the juxtaposition of these two different views And then you see the films, you can kind of see both of them, but it's not clear how conscious a lot of it is. And at the same time, he does say about hyenas, which we're going to talk about in a minute, that it identifies the enemy, which is the IMF and the World Bank. And that's pretty clear there. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, you know, they're complex. There is an interest, of course, in the social and political landscape of Senegal, but there's also a real interest in daily life. Several of his films have scenes of women lining up to get water, doing the washing, selling vegetables. You know, there's a lot of of the daily 
there's this interest in youth and what is the reality of their experience. And his own youth comes up in the one we're not showing, Badu Boy. There's a real interest in children. He feels the critique is, is, as you mentioned about hyenas, about greed, about the effects of colonialism. But he also wanted to have things that were more fun and joyous. And he finds a lot of that, he says, from children. In seeing some of these short documentaries about his work, they flash on segments of the work bringing out certain things. And you realize that in Tukibuki particularly, but maybe in Hyenas as well, there is so much going on at all times. When you first saw Tukibuki, how aware were you of that? I can't really recall how I thought back then, but my memory all has to do with the way it was structured. He cuts between reality and dreams. He pieces together impossible scenes, like there's a point where Maury, the male character, is driving down a totally deserted road, standing up in a car, someone else is driving him, and Mambetti cuts to people lined up on streets for a parade, right? He's got this sort of Eisenstein montage where it's as if the character is in a parade, and yet in the shots where we see him, he's clearly in the middle of nowhere. You know, it's all dirt. And so all of that invention, it happens throughout. You're in scenes that he cuts between two different parts of a narrative, forward, backward in time. That just like thrilled me. There's some scenes, there's no missing the critique. There's a point near the very end where the woman character, Anta, is on a a ship that's going to go to Europe. And there's characters speaking, European or American, Western, let's say, characters, the way they speak about their experience in Senegal. Kathy Garretts, one thing I found fascinating is in the introduction to the interview that was conducted toward the end of his life, it mentions his alcoholism. And that's the only place I've found pretty much anything about his personal life. He never married, otherwise it would have been there. The girl, Anta, in Tukibuki could be a boy. Mm -hmm. That made me wonder, could he have been gay? Okay, first about his life. I did hear him speak in one of the films about being lonely, that he began making films because he felt his life was defined by loneliness against his will. And that he felt each of his films dealt with loneliness, like Tukibuki, the loneliness of the boy and girl, the city of contrast as a lonely town. Hyenas, he actually focused on the loneliness of the the male character who is, some might say, not as important as the female character who, who kind of shows everyone's greed. The critique is that really of the male character. So that's one aspect that he spoke personally of feeling lonely. In terms of his alcoholism, I found a few mentions of his drinking, but I don't really know what to say about it other than there's a scene in one of the little shorts about him that we're showing, the Prince of Colobane, where he's drinking and he says, don't shoot me drinking. <laughs> yeah, but of course, they're also it's a Muslim community. So there's also that. So he did Tukibuki in 1973. 
It was 18 years before Hyenas, and in that period of time, there was one brief documentary, Mambete, vanished from the scene and suddenly comes back, and not only does he do a film, but it's a film based on a very famous play, The Visit by Durenmott. I've read things that other people speculated that he couldn't get funding or that funding was only available with conditions he wasn't willing to meet. I haven't read anything of how he speaks about it. I wasn't surprised that there's an aspect of the visit, the um, Frederick Durenmott play in that film, because he himself had been so interested in theater. I did hear him talk about that at some point he began to imagine the life of Anta, who is the young woman in Tukibuki, who together with Mori wants to find a way out of Dakar to go to Europe, to go to Paris. He wanted to kind of imagine what might have happened to her. And so he kind of looked into his own life to find elements of that, not in the sense that he left, he always stayed. But then he also said when he thought of or read The Visit, that it gave him another way also into that story. It is a transposing of a lot of the visit, it's recognizable in it, in his film Hyenas, to Africa, yet using it to ends that we see in his other films, where he is disturbed by what power does to people, greed and materialism, but also linking that to anti-colonialist critique. So it's both the human level. He talks overtly about how he sees the hyena as a stand-in for man. Uh, There's a quote where he speaks about the hyena, an animal that doesn't kill, but that lies or can be seen as duplicit. That aspect he was really interested in. Tukibuki actually translates this journey of the hyena. So the first two really have that element. Hyenas is a story about someone who was really driven out of their town because she gets pregnant and the person who impregnated her sort of disowns her and so she's shunned. And then she comes back to get revenge, right? And so it becomes a critique of the materialism that the townspeople lust after once they're introduced to it out of the woman character's desire to revenge her treatment. She enlists the town to do that. It's a critique of frameworks that are presented as post-colonial. The delusion of the townspeople in thinking that suddenly they're going to be rich and they're going to be happy because of the money, yet it is pointed out, particularly by the behavior of the man who is going to be killed by them, particularly his behavior, when he says, this is on you. I'm not killing myself. You want to kill me? You take responsibility and live with it for the rest of your lives. And, you know, he, I mean, uh, he meaning Mombetti, not that character, a quote from him is, we are done for if we trade our souls for money. And so that is something that he is concerned with. In Hyenas, there's a point where the townspeople as individuals aren't able to 
to bring themselves to kill the man who impregnated the woman, which she's requesting in order for them to get all these wonderful goods. They wear a costume, which in an interview, Mombetti talks about that they really become animals. And it's at that point they're able to, to enact in this anonymous way where it's not them as a person to enact the murder. And so he had a really interesting way of thinking about the sort of mass mentality that happens in that film, Hyenas, which, of course, he's linking the title itself, links that sort of animalistic possibility of you know man's tendencies is brought forward by the title. After Hyenas, he changed course again with these two short films about people in poverty. LaFranc and the little girl who sold the son, it almost feels as if he he suddenly was channeling Jean Renoir and the humanism in Renoir's films. They're certainly very humanistic. And as I mentioned earlier, he really wanted to return to something more hopeful. They're both beautiful portraits. You know, LaFranc is about a musician who he owes money for his rent and his dream of solving this problem. You know, he enters the lottery. And then Little Girl Who Sold the Sun is a young girl who's on crutches, whose grandmother is blind, and she wants to get enough money for them to, you know, be able to eat. Mambetti said he was really inspired for that film by the children of the street, that actually his love of children is part of what gave him courage, he said, to challenge corruption in all his films. But in both films, they're very interesting. In Lefranc, the musician, he's he's made very humorous. He does antics. It's a little Tati-like. And we see his dreams. And in fact, there's a really interesting way that we see him see himself in the same frame of what he would like to be doing. The dream is very embedded even in the image. But there's a young girl who at one point kind of watches him with a, a lot of like love and care. And in The Little Girl Who Sold the Sun, the main character is Celie. And there's a, a young boy who kind of shadows her and kind of watches out for her. And so there's also just a side of the better side of people, you know, who want things to happen for others, who care about how they are, even though both of them have a lot of cruelty. Marigot, the musician, is going to be kicked out of his home, and the young girl on crutches, these boys who, the job she get is, is selling the sun as a newspaper, right? And it, that tended to be a boy's activity. And so these boys knock her down, they take her crutches. So there's a lot of cruelty in both film, but there's also this sort of, as you said, this humanism. And she also is showing when she has money. You remember that, how she distributes the money? There really is a side that Mombetti sees hope in children, you know, and there's a spirit to her that you you can't resist. I mean, she's incredible, right? And I guess we haven't mentioned, but in all of these, all of these characters are non-actors, they're non-professionals, and that's what he does. He brings out these wonderful performances and Celie, she's incredible. The beaming smile on her face. What he said in an interview is that when he finds the person, that's like the job. 
It's to find the person and then he gets everything he can from them, right? (laughs) It sounds as if that the lung cancer that killed him must have come on pretty suddenly. He had a third film in mind called The Stone Cutter for the three short films that was going to be his next film. And then he had a film called Malaika, which was about the power of craziness, which would be part of the feature film trilogy. And suddenly he was gone at 54. Or maybe 53. I heard him saying he doesn't like being ill. So he may have been ill. But I don't know that kind of biographical information. But definitely young. In an interview before he died, he did say that he felt himself to be a half a century old, that at the same time he felt that cinema was a century old as he was working. So there's that interesting way. He very much is very identified with world of cinema, even though, as you pointed out, there's a 20-year gap in which he's making work. He also says in an interview that he's not a filmmaker. Mm, mm Mm-hmm. I wonder what he meant by that. You know, he was very interested in distinguishing just making films that are already familiar. He was very opposed to that and wanting to make films that, as I said, reinvented cinema so that made storytelling surprising and unconventional, whether it was drawing on, you know, other ways of storytelling, like somebody said Tukibuki was like a cross between a a griot and a DJ. Over the years, now again, you've been doing this since 86. Did you run across any mention of him in other contexts, like a broader African context? You said that Tukibuki was part of another festival. Or any mention of him in terms of world cinema? Or has he kind of been under the radar all these years? I know a lot of people who remember seeing Tukibuki. just really strikes people. But this Metrograph making these digital copies and Criterion's actions, but also, of course, the Film Foundation, Scorsese's Film Foundation, and their focus now on the African film heritage production That's bringing attention to a number of African films, and they've worked with the Cineteca de Bologna, do preservation. So that is really important work. In terms of, you know, how Mambetti's spoken about, some people make the division that there's many African filmmakers, such as Ousmane Simbin, also from Senegal, and Suleiman Sisse. You know, when the first COVID lockdown happened in March 20, Suleiman Sisse was actually visiting us. He was here in Berkeley, and we showed his film Brightness, or Yaline, with him in person. We had to shut down the next night, and we didn't get to finish our series of his. It's also that we're really super happy that in March and April, we're going to be able to show his films again. Suleiman Sisse also studied in Moscow. So some, some people make that distinction of the filmmakers who were trained in Moscow, what kind of political and social critiques they have. I would say that Mambetti shares that social and political critique. Many of them share a sort of interest in comparing the traditional and modernity, the urban and the rural. Some differences have maybe to do with what generation they are. Simben is a 
even though he lived much longer, he died in, uh, I think, 2007 or somewhere around there, he is an earlier generation, you know, and so, of course, Mambetti would know his work. And I think that for Mambetti's style and interest, he's more playful and more inventive, more concerned with being inventive and finding a, a very different he wants a, an African-specific language. He wants to mix things up. I think that that separates him from some other African filmmakers. What about his niece, Matty Diop? Her first feature film, Atlantics, got a lot of press a couple of years back. Yeah, we had her as a guest with that and some of her other work. And she also started as an actress. I mean, she's certainly in Claire Denis' film, and then began making films. We're actually showing one of her films in A Thousand Sons. She interviews the person who plays Maury. His name's Magaye Nyang, I think. I'm not sure how to pronounce it. She does a really very typical film of hers where it's it's very hybrid. And you could say Mambetti's films are hybrid. He brings together fantasy, dreams, and narrative. He has a lot of emphasis on daily life that could be seen as having a, a documentary edge. She is too. She brings fantasy into that that really wonderful portrait. That's a very strange little film. It feels documentary, yet at the same time, her camera is clearly in places like a cab when he's chatting with the cab driver. When he's making a phone call to a woman She's the woman who left, and suddenly he's thinking, this actor is thinking that Tukibuki is his life, and then you kind of realize, you know, this may not be a documentary at all. I know. It doesn't tell you how to read it. (laughs) It is the woman who played Anta that he calls. But I think that there's very similar things in Jibril Diop Mambedi's films, especially in Tukibuki. Well, it is a narrative, but you are unsure how to read where you are at times. It's like, did I just move backward in time? Did I just see something in repetition? Where am I? (laughs) I feel that she's showing her sympathies and attraction to the way he makes particularly dreams, because there's an aspect that, you know, the male character, Magaye, the um, person she's doing the portrait of, he dreams of wanting to see the woman again. And whether that's a dream of the narrative or a dream of him as a person, those same kind of dreams are very much realized or put forward in Tukibuki. You remember the scene where those two characters, Mori and Anta, they dream that they come back with lots of money and interact with the, the people from their town who had you know, treated them badly. So the dream is given as much reality as their current existence. Kathy Garretts, how does one become a film curator and why does one become a film curator? I became a film curator kind of by happenstance. I was going to UC Berkeley and I saw some experimental avant-garde films and I thought, I've never seen anything like this. Not dissimilar to my feeling when I saw Tukibuki <laughs> and I wanted to see more. So I went to the Pacific Film Archive, as it was called then, and started volunteering in part so that I could also look at films in their collection. And the PFA has an incredible 
incredible collection of experimental cinema. Little by little, that led to me getting a job there. And why you do it is you get to keep seeing work and learning about work. I mean, you know, as you said, how does one hear about someone like Mambetti, Jabril Diop Mambetti, through other people doing amazing research, through trying to do research yourself? And it's a great challenge and a great job to be able to try to extend our knowledge of what is film history, to include Africa, to include Latin America, to you know, make it truly world cinema, right? What could be better? There's a lot of opportunities now, different ways to see work, you know, through different platforms, through things even like YouTube and others. And then, of course, all of the places like BAM PFA that still have a theater. And I should mention that we require proof of vaccination, and we will probably be still doing that through when this series is. You know, there's a chance to see these works large in a theater, as we hope many people will. But there's also all these opportunities all along to be to be seeking out unusual work, broadening our base of knowledge of other cultures and other artists. Kathy Garretts, you have this uh, retrospective, almost complete retrospective of Mambete. What do you have coming up? What projects are you working on? Well, I think I mentioned showing the films of Suleiman Sisse. We're just finishing that up. I'm really glad about that because another of his films was also preserved. And so we're adding one more, his very first film, The Young Girl. As you mentioned in your introduction, I do a documentary series every year with who's ever teaching documentary at UC Berkeley uh, that semester. So it's that's always nice uh, collaboration. So uh, have that going on in the spring, throughout the spring, both starting in uh, end of January and going through April. And then a really fantastic project also tied in with the university, colleague Natalie Brizuela and two other colleagues is a focus on contemporary indigenous media. We're invited a couple of indigenous makers to curate programs. Sky Hapinka pulled together a program of experimental indigenous work. The New Red Order, Autumn Khalil, who's from that group, also put together a program, as well as a number of features. The focus is on the Americas, Canada, the US, Mexico, and Latin America. So I'm really, really excited about that. One of the other series we're going to be doing in March, April, May is of a local filmmaker, Wayne Wang, incredible filmmaker whose early film Chan is Missing is like legendary. But some of his films have recently been restored. He is an important filmmaker by any stretch of the imagination. You've been listening to an interview with Kathy Garretts, who is a film curator at BAM PFA, Berkeley Art Museum, Pacific Film Archive. She's currently curating films by Jibril Diop Mambetti. Tomorrow night, Friday, Tuki Buki and Contra City will play. And the rest of the festival extends through February 20th. For more information, you can go to bampfa.org. And, of course, with Omicron out there and people not wanting to go to the theater, Tuki Buki and Contra City are on the Criterion app. Hyenas, LaFranc, and The Little Girl Who Sold the Sun, those are on the Canopy free app from libraries. The Prince of Columbane can be found on YouTube. 
you know, that program you're mentioning that has the Prince of Colobane and the short documentary I mentioned, Mambedi, as well as Maddie Diop's A Thousand Sons, that's on Sunday, the 23rd. Two of the films include either quotes being read by Mambedi, Mambedi himself speaking, and clips from his films, as well as uh, footage as he's filming different films, both Hyenas and The Little Girl Who Sold the Sun. And so we saw those as just a wonderful opportunity for those who can be there in person to really be inside this fascinating man's thinking about cinema. And also, as we were just talking about, not everyone knows his work. And so to get a little hint of it, the style and the way he approaches filmmaking by seeing clips from them. Feedback on this and other Radio Walensky podcasts is appreciated. You can write to bookwaves at hotmail.com and feel free to search out other interviews at bookwaves.com or on the kpfa.org website. Until next time, I'm Richard Walensky on the Area 941 Radio Walensky Podcast. <laughs>